Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. Myself, Cameron Drummond, joined this week by Dylan Wallace, our women's basketball reporter who's been helping us out just a wee bit here with men's basketball coverage along with Murphy Wheeler, our men's basketball columnist for this season, here to talk to you about the past week in Indiana hoops and also take some feedback, take some questions from our viewers out there in the world of Facebook and Twitter, obviously with the way this Indiana season's going, a lot of questions about the direction, the trajectory of the program, so we hope to maybe give you guys some feedback, some answers for those, as well as talking about the past week on the court with Indiana's losses to Purdue and Iowa, as well as teeing you up for this next coming week of games against the Wisconsin Badgers and the Michigan State Spartans. Murphy, Dylan, how are we doing today? Great. Good. Doing good. Good. Uh, so, obviously, let's uh, start with a little bit of uh, a little bit of recap. The past week in Indiana basketball has once again not been a victorious week of Indiana basketball. Something that's becoming a pretty common refrain this season for the Hoosiers. We have two losses to talk about: Indiana forty-six, Purdue forty-eight, and then after that, we had. Iowa 76, Indiana 70, the overtime final from last Friday night in Iowa City. Uh, Two games against ranked opponents really kind of, you know, was the last stand of the Hoosiers to try and claw their way back into any kind of NCAA tournament or even maybe NIT consideration for the postseason. And two guys just absolutely brutal losses. Uh, I mean, real gut punches. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, honestly, they showed some signs of positivity a little bit just because, I mean... In in both games or just one? I mean, I think probably in both games you could say that. I mean, they challenged two good teams, um, you know, fairly well. And it's just a running theme with this team at this point that they just can't find a way to pull out wins. Um, But, yeah, I think there was positive things to take away from the week. But, I mean, still... I mean, so many more questions as well. So, I mean, I don't know. I think you could say it was somewhat of a, I don't know. It was, it was a, I don't know. I don't know where it, I'm Well, it's like, this. I mean, <laughs> I guess like if you put it in comparison to Minnesota. Right, absolutely. Like just from the effort and the hustle and the heart standpoint. Right. Like I guess this was a week of more int- intangible things that Indiana like matured in, in terms of effort, playing tight competitive games especially because I think a lot of people just kind of thought the season would just absolutely turn into, you know, 20-point loss after 20-point loss after what right. happened at Minnesota. And well, it's still bad, though. Like, yeah. let's not, I mean, let's still, not sugarcoat it too much. They've still lost 12 of 13 games. Exactly. Yeah, I think defensively they were pretty good in, those la- in, the, in the last yeah. two games. Um, you know, Carson Edwards shot, like, what? 424, what I think. That yeah, he missed 20 was. shots. First time all season, probably in his whole career, they just missed 20 shots. And they, they shut down Iowa from the three-point line for basically the whole game, except for, you know, Bohannon for so long. went crazy at the end. But even those shots, he was contested. So, I mean, the defense was really improved, but it did come down to a lot of loose balls, them giving up offensive rebounds, and that's been a common theme. Um, so the defense played better. The offense... Kind of, but it's not. It wasn't good enough to execute. I think the problem also is, so each game kind of saw something better happen. Like the Purdue game shut down defense on Carson Edwards because Indiana had had, you know, some issues with star players and other teams kind of going off for a lot of points on them throughout the season. Iowa, you finally had the bench show up. You finally had Evan Fitzner come out of nowhere with eleven points. You had scoring. (laughs) beyond the main group of players, even when guys like Jawan Morgan and Deron Davis were in foul trouble. But while you have those isolated positives from each game, 
one, the Hoosiers can't really put them together. It's not like they had good bench scoring and good defense against Purdue, or particularly, especially down the stretch, good defense against Iowa and bench scoring. Like, they couldn't combine those factors. And I guess the other half of it, too, is just, I mean, they did lose both games. Right. So from an emotional standpoint, that has to take your toll completely on the players and coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's still bad decisions, too, in-game bad decisions. And I don't know if, how much you can blame that on the players or you're going to blame it on Archie Miller. Um, I think a little bit of blame has to go to both. Um, but, yeah, there's still a lot of things just holding this team back that have held them back all year. Um, and a lot of that comes on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, and, again, it comes down to decision-making more than anything. But also, I think it's just come down to just shot makers. Other teams, oh, absolutely. Other teams the Big Ten have guys that can just go score. And IU lacks that. And, and that's what in these close games – that it's like, okay, that he'd have a chance to win this. They don't have that guy that can just go score and make a shot. Well, and, they don't, and Indiana doesn't time. have the Jordan Bohan who can go no. crazy and score nine points in a five-minute window of overtime or, you know, like he did in the first game against Indiana, 11 consecutive points to close the game out for the Hawkeyes. You yeah. would conceivably think that Romeo Lankford would be that guy, though. But I think it's become – I mean, it's obviously become very apparent, not like in the last two or three games, but like two months ago that he's not necessarily that kind of persona with the ball or that kind of player on the court, which isn't a bad thing against Romeo, but, like, it just kind of is bit. what it is. I mean, and also... In the context of this team, it's a bad thing. Right, for sure. And I think, again, it, it is a weird... He has a weird role in this offense at this point. Um, again, he's probably taking too many outside shots. Uh, we've talked about how many times this year there's no movement on offense. Um, so, I mean, he kind of gets... The, almost lost in the shuffle a lot of times in this offense. Um, and it's kind of hard to believe with a player of that caliber uh, that that can happen to. But then another guy that you would think that could maybe be that guy to take over and score is Jawan Morgan. But well, we also, and we he, had, was, he was that guy, at one, that. He was that guy yes. at one point this season. So what's happened there? Because he's not anymore. He's not that guy anymore. I hesitate to say, because this has been something that was discussed while non-conference play was happening and while even the early stages of Big Ten play was happening, just the amount that he was getting bumped and banged around in the minutes he had Maybe. to play. I don't want to say it's a fatigue thing, but... Maybe. Because well, it's not like he looks tired on the court, but that... Ha I mean, he's still finishing buckets through contact as well, too, but... You got to think maybe it adds up. Yeah, I mean, teams have actually started to defend him a lot better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think back to Ohio State is like the best example. I mean, they just came with a hard double mm -hmm. any time he touched the ball. And he could, and I mean, you know, Ayu could not get it to him, and he couldn't really be effective in that game. And I don't think he, I mean, how many points did he end up with? He ended up with, you know, like. It was his four, worst shooting yeah, game of the nine, season. Yeah. Exactly. And I just think in these last few games, teams have just doubled him. And, and they've just been doubling down on Jawan, and he's not been able to really go go to work in the post like he's been able to that we saw earlier in the year which has made it you know troublesome for him to take over games and also his outside shot wasn't falling you think back to butler when he hit like yeah. five something like that he, he, he hit a lot well, of shots the butler now, game was the game the scoring game wise and for he's, Juwan, and he's yeah. been taking those outside shots lately but he just hasn't been hitting them and when you can hit the outside shots and they double them in the post he's been kind of ineffective yeah i want to jump on that real quick so for anyone who didn't follow along with our coverage uh from this past week i was in iowa city for the indiana iowa game and something that all of us along press row kind of noticed or you know got into the habit of doing was anytime indiana would be running an offensive set and particularly in the first half that would end with a kick out three-point attempt by Juwan Morgan. We just kind of, you know, went to our notebooks, made another tally mark because of how bad he's shot the three-point ball in Big Ten play. We talked about Butler being the game where he hit maybe like five three-pointers, and also he just kind of 
went insane in terms of scoring in general. He is, Jawan Morgan is 10 of 49 on three-pointers in Big Ten play. Wow. And he's one of... He doesn't fit the profile for one of the guys who should be taking a lot of three-pointers for Indiana, be. but he is. And he's kind of fallen in love with that outside yeah. shot, whereas it should probably be guys who, like Durham, like Finnessy, like Green, who are the more tailor-made three-point shooters on this team. And that's something that's maybe kind of evolved once Indiana's gotten to this rotation of playing both Deron Davis and Jawan Morgan, in particular start games. Just because you have two guys on the inside, it lets Jawan drift more to the perimeter and take those three-pointers. But I don't know if this is something that Indiana... I mean, it's, the season's kind of passed them by, obviously, but that's something that's kind of sunk Indiana this season is waiting for that three-point shot to develop in, th- in Big Ten play because you know it's there. But he's just gotten to such a habit of it, and he really shouldn't be shooting as many of those as he does. Right. Well, I mean, you're right. Morgan shouldn't be taking that many outside shots uh, because we know where his, you know, his strong suit is, and that's inside. Um, but the other thing is there's not, a, there's not another shooter on this team. I mean, we've seen that multiple times. There's just nobody that's going to step up and make those outside shots. The and pantry here, is quite bare when it comes to anyone making, shoot, making shots from the outside, right. let alone the expected guys. I mean, the Fitzner thing hasn't worked out. Even the best of the three-point shooters, guys like Green and Finnessy, are streaky at best. Right. And then you're left with Morgan maybe going one for five, one for six, and something that just kind of has to happen. And that's kind of a big reason, obviously, if you, can't, if you don't have guys that hit outside shots, it's going to be bad for your offense. But that has been one of the biggest reasons this offense has stalled out in a big way, especially in conference play. Because like Dylan said, teams are focusing in on Morgan down low pretty, pretty much you know, all the time, every time he touches the ball. If he's getting doubled, he's a really good passer out of the post. He could easily be, if someone doubles down on him, that means somebody's open somewhere else. He could easily be a guy that can find somebody wide open, a nice outlet or a nice pass out of the post. And that, that leads to an open shot, but they don't have anybody that can hit that shot. So that's a huge part of their offense that could be a weapon that's not there. Yeah, and to your point, um, I saw this on Twitter the other day, but you know the the worst three point shooting team in the Big Ten of like the Ken Palm era, which dates back to you know two thousand one two thousand two. It's the two thousand fourteen two thousand fifteen Nebraska Cornhuskers. They're twenty six point five percent, and IU, who has four games remaining, is currently shooting twenty six point three percent. Holy cow! So the Hoosiers could most definitely be the worst three point shooting team, at least dating back to two thousand one. And that, that's also not surprising necessarily. Unbelievable. I mean, we've seen it all season. Like, if you told me that statistic, I wouldn't think you were insane or anything. No. And, and something, too, to Murphy's point that you just brought up, it's a shame that this team has been so bad at three-pointers and in distance shooting because especially when they've got their full complement of players, guys like Davis and Morgan playing on the inside and especially playing together, those big men are such good passers. Yeah. They have such good hands to Davis be able to f- to be able to find not only guys cutting to the rim, but guys kind of loitering out on the perimeter ready to take those shots. And it's almost like a wasted, you know, match of skill set because you have the guys able to kick the ball out and get the open looks and, you know, produce that and provide that, but no one's on the other end to actually take advantage of that and get the offensive payoff in terms of points on the scoreboard right and the thing is if they did like if they make those passes out of the post to somebody open around the perimeter if IU had some guys that were able to hit those shots that would take away those doubles you know a lot a lot of those doubles down low in the post even if it's just one guy exactly and they but teams aren't afraid of that they they know that's not a weapon for IU they know they can't hit those outside shots so they're going to keep doubling and that means Morgan's going to be stuck Davis is going to be stuck they're going to be there you know 
stuck in the post. Yeah, I will say to your point about you know Duran, it's I think he needed to play more against Iowa. He picked up two fouls and I mean Archie Miller is obviously very conservative. Oh, he does when it, it so much when it comes times. to guys having two fouls in the first half yeah. and them sitting the rest of the but half. But Duran only finished the game with three fouls, so like he only picked up one more the rest of the game because Archie kept him on the sideline for so long, and he only played twenty four minutes. He went he shot four of six, scored ten points. It seemed like any time he got the ball down there. He was able to take the defender and just kind of go score. Or if they doubled him, you know, like Murphy said, he's a good passer. So he can make plays. And he picked up two fouls, and that down-low presence just became irrelevant all of a sudden because you had guys like, you know, Fitzner and Jake Forster come in, and they won't give it to them in the post. But, like, the idea of how it should work with the subbing a guy out, especially an important guy with two fouls, that worked well against Iowa just because the bench had a rare game where everyone kind of stepped up. I mean... Guys like Grace Thompson played 11 minutes, four rebounds. That's as good as you could hope for from him. You got some minutes from Zach McRoberts. Not quite. I mean, he's just literally playing through so many injuries to his body right now. Fitzner. Didn't see Justin Smith in the second half at all. Only six minutes for him. And all of them in the first half, no second half, no overtime play for Smith. He doesn't deserve to play at this point. Yeah, he's been... Ever since he got taken out of the starting lineup, he I think it shook his confidence, and he's been very bad in these games. Well, his, you can see, especially once, I mean, once, yeah, obviously he got subbed out, but the starting lineup for Davis, his minutes have just kind of been on well a steady decline. Yeah, I mean, Davis has emerged as a guy they really need <coughs> on the court at this point. Yeah. Um, he's And let's be honest, Ron Davis has played really well. I would make the argument he's the most important part of Indiana's offense right now. Right now, right he now, probably yeah. is, which is crazy. I, mean, I never would have thought that was going to happen at the beginning yeah. of the year. I thought Davis was going to be a guy that would slowly lose minutes because I didn't think he fit into this Yeah, I can't remember how many podcasts you kept saying I thought Davis was, is, the game is going to pass him by, man. I did. I thought he was done, and... I've, I've the, been the exact pleasantly happens. surprised. I think he's played really well. If you uh, if you want to visit idsnews.com, idsnews.com slash sports, I actually have a story that I just sent in uh, oh, for wow. publication about Deron Davis. But here's a stat I use in the story that goes to your point perfectly. The first 18 games of the season, Deron Davis played 17 or more minutes once. It was the Arkansas game. He missed the layup, dunk at the buzzer to win. Oh, yeah. But he was really good in that game. Yeah. Real good offensive cog. Then he took three games off to rest an ankle injury and three consecutive value losses. And then he came back from the ankle injury at Michigan State for that fabled win that's, you know, kind of the only salvaging part of this second half of the season for IU. From that Michigan State game to now, IU's played six games, and Deron Davis has played 17 or more minutes in all of those games. Yeah, I mean, again, he's just the guy they have to have on the floor at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess last thing we want to touch on from the past week, um, just the Purdue-Iowa games and, I guess, concepts in general to take from them. You talked about this earlier, but, Dylan, about the uh, the defense on Bohannon being super good. I thought the defense on Bohannon, just the the alertness Indiana showed in Iowa City on Friday night was phenomenal. And, like, it was just really great. I mean, I think Fran McCaffrey, Iowa's head coach, compared uh, Jordan Bohannon to Steph Curry after the game. It looked like it. With the ability he's able to just get hot and just start dropping things from, like, 30 or so feet. But... Devontae Green can be a lazy defender at times for this Indiana team, especially yeah. when he doesn't get through screens. But when he makes the effort to go through screens, he's a really pesky guy, has his hands up in, def- in offensive players' faces a ton. And that was something that Indiana seemed to do a ton of against Iowa, just especially because of the way the three-point shooting went in their teams' first meeting in Bloomington. Guys like Durham, Langford, Green all had their hands specifically in the face of players, and Bohannon in particular. And that went super well, except for like maybe six combined minutes. Yeah, and that's and, what did IU in. And you talked about how you know their alertness and how how well they kind of played. And for a while, there felt like they were going to win, 
I thought and they were going to win. I thought they were going to win. It did. It felt like they were going to win. And then when Bohannon hit that first three, and then he kind of, as soon as he released the other ones, and they were crazily contested, like, even though you're like, that was really good defense, you had that feeling like, these are probably going to go in because that's just how the season has gone. Yeah. And exactly how the season has gone. You think of C.J. Jackson of Ohio State, hits him. Iowa the first time around. Bohannon does the same thing he just did. Harms tipping in that last second shot. Like, it's just how the season has gone. No matter how good their defense is, the other team has made the shot to put IU away. And in the opportunities they have had to put the game away, they haven't executed right. Not that it really matters, but it just kind of feels like IU wasted all of its luck in the first half of the season. Winning all those tight games, they didn't space it out enough, because all bit, all yeah. those tight one possession games wasn't there a stretch there where they won I believe four crazy. consecutive, By and like it, a total of like six points or something. Yeah, it had Butler, Louisville, Penn State, State Northwestern. We read yeah. those off in completely opposite order, <laughs> but yeah, Northwestern <laughs> two point win, Penn State two point win, Louisville one point win, a three point win at the buzzer that didn't matter. So that's a little bit like kind of sketch, and then Butler a three point win. So that's four consecutive really good non conference or really good conference and non conference wins, and ever since then Indiana's obviously just been awful in tight games, in blowout games, in just <laughs> no, in, awful in, right game. word. in all games. Uh, so let's real quick take a look at the future. Wisconsin Tuesday night nine p.m. ESPN, Michigan State Saturday noon on Fox. Postseason Yikes. things. <laughs> postseason things are like not even a real concept to discuss with Indiana anymore, nope. but. Like, like, what could these games serve a purpose toward? Is it playing more guys off the bench? Is it playing younger guys? Is it, you know, getting, you know, minutes for guys like Forrester and Thompson in comparison to maybe not wasting your time with someone like Justin Smith, but, like, you kind of already know what you have in that product, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, sure, that could be an opportunity to play those guys a little bit more, see a little bit more out of those guys. But also, I think these next few games, it comes down to whether you win or not, if, as long as you, as long as IU, is it all is it all about showing up now? Yes, it's if you show up, and you at least give it a pretty good effort. You, you're close, and it's a close game like they like Purdue and Iowa, like both of those games. At this point, it's about having performances like that and not being embarrassed, like the Minnesota game, yeah. because it's getting to that point where it's just an embarrassing season. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they show up on Tuesday against Wisconsin. They could conceivably beat them. They could, and what's why I'm so interested to see how they show up is because how like heartbreaking those two losses were this week because how hard they played and how Iowa, they were to lose. I think I mean, Iowa was actually a more heartbreaking loss than Purdue because I think Purdue was more a game that Indiana was trying to win and Iowa was a game that Indiana had won. Yeah, I mean, Andy Katz was like he was on the call for that game, and he was like so, uh, like so, mo- like up and motivated. And was like Indiana's season is still alive, and he was giving no. everyone all this hope. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if they beat Iowa, conceivably, like yes, but yes. also if they beat Wisconsin, Michigan State, or even one of those, we're gonna say this all the way to Chicago. We're gonna say this all the way. We're gonna say it in the first game of the Big Ten tournament that they win that. Like it's just gonna be how the season goes. But I just wonder how if they'll come out defeated like they did against Minnesota because that was after they beat Michigan State, had those two tough losses to Iowa and Ohio State, and they came out and just got whooped by Minnesota. Yeah. So now here we go again. They really they gave hard effort against Purdue and Iowa. 
but they lost both those games. And I think after the game, Cam, you were there. You you saw how kind of Archie was. Kind of Archie the, Miller was not happy after said, the Iowa basketball game said, on Friday night. And he said something along the lines like, you know, you just, you just start to feel bad for him at this point. Yeah, he talked about how, you know, Indiana, like every other team in the country, is fighting and scrapping for everything, and you just start to feel bad for the players, which, like, I mean, human emotion, especially being that close yeah. to the team, obviously. And, and I wonder if the team, after losing those two games that could have possibly saved their season, how motivated, how into the game they'll be on Tuesday, or if they're just going to be, like, completely out of it. Right. I mean, tough opponent, too, obviously, Ethan Happ having another... Oh, That's going to be Happ. tough. Having another phenomenal season yeah. for Wisconsin. He's a fifth-year senior, but, I mean, he's one of those guys in college basketball. feels like he's been at the same place for a decade. He's probably going to go for 30 against feels, IU. Feels like the, the, the Perry Ellis of the Big Ten, we should say. He is a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Is he a senior? He's a redshirt yeah, senior. He's a senior. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, he's gone. He won't terrorize Indiana anymore, but he's still got one final opportunity on Tuesday night. So be sure to stick with us for coverage for that. Again, Wisconsin Tuesday at 9 p.m. And then Michigan State Saturday at noon. Kind of a weird juxtaposition just because both those teams are obviously safely in the NCAA tournament. Indiana is safely out of the NCAA tournament. And both those games are like prime viewing hour national television slots. So going to be maybe a weird dynamic uh, in terms of you know, having Indiana on national television for a team that's lost 12 of their 13 games. But IDSnews.com, follow us on Twitter, IDS News, for all your coverage needs. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll get to uh, some fan questions and responses and finish off with a little women's basketball talk as well. Stick with us. TIS College Bookstore has been outfitting generations of IU fans for over 56 years, and we have the largest selection of IU apparel and gifts in Bloomington. Start your holiday shopping with 25% off one regular priced apparel or gift item at iugear.com when you use promo code IUBB. If you're in town for the game, stop by TIS and show us your athletic ticket stub and we'll give you 25% off one IU sportswear item. TIS College Bookstore, representing everything IU. Hey, welcome back to the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. Still the same trio with you, Cameron Drummond. Murphy Wheeler and Dylan Wallace and now guys it's time to uh turn over to the fans turn over to Hoosier Nation uh earlier this week sent out a couple Facebook and Twitter messages just asking fans both young and old to uh kind of share their thoughts on the season where they think this team's going in the future and just kind of what they think about the state of the Indiana men's basketball program right now so uh Great. let's uh I'm not necessarily going to uh you know, read things verbatim, but I'm just kind of, you know, scroll through the comments and introduce some larger topics that they that they brought up, and then we can kind of toss them around here for uh, for a little bit. Uh, so first off, uh, we have a comment from Michael on Facebook. He says, basically, I think Indiana's going to keep improving. Uh, they don't really have any bad losses. They played a great game against Purdue, a great game against Iowa. Only one senior starter being Jawan Morgan leaving the team. And they're a very young team with a young coach as well who's kind of in his first couple years at the spot. Um, so I guess, okay. what do you think about that? So Will he's in- saying... He's saying because Indiana is young and... Just one senior. Just one senior. Oh, they return a lot from last year. Obviously, I mean, Romeo's going to go. But he thinks the program's kind of on the up and up just because of the youth level and Archie Miller's still trying to settle in here. I think that's, I think you could say that, yes. Um, because one, I think Archie's done a pretty good job of recruiting, um, especially this coming year. He's got a really good class coming in. We already know Trace, De- Trace Jackson Davis and Armand Franklin. I think both of those guys could make an immediate impact next year. I think they're going to probably have to. They're going to have to, yes. Yeah. Um, and I think you are, you are going to see guys like Rob Fennessy get a lot better. 
um, in Groh's player. Uh, Al Durham maybe could be a guy that does that. Yeah. A lot of those guys off the bench, you know, they haven't got a lot of minutes either. A guy like Ray Thompson or Jake Forrester or somebody like that. They could kind of step up and become role players in the next, at least maybe not next year, but at least the next couple years. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see what happens with this team once Jawan and Romeo are gone because we talked about how there's not really a number one. I mean, there is kind of a number one scoring option with those two guys. Well, but there certainly isn't with neither of those two guys. I mean, yeah. they're the they're IU's number one scorers, though. I mean, right. if anybody is, they are. So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up in their yeah. place because no one else has stepped up as a third scoring option behind those two. Yeah, really. right. And I guess the closest thing currently is Deron Davis, and he'll have one more year. So that'll be – it'll be a nice to have a, a low-post experience presence. Yeah. Um, Do you maybe go back to, like, sophomore year Duran before the Achilles injury when he's averaging, like, 10 a game and five rebounds? I'd be okay It, with it could that. be, yeah. And, and I think he'll, he'll be able to work together well with – Trace Jackson Davis. Um, so we'll see. The Davis I mean, brothers. Yeah, the Davis brothers. I can see the, the, I can see the headlines now. Davis low. and Davis. Yeah, they, they should be all right. And um, if if I use able to land, you know, Keon Brooks, that'd be also yeah. huge for them. Keon's still looking at Michigan State and Kentucky. I think he's. He, I believe he's going to announce relatively soon as well. Yeah, because so. I think he could be more of an aggressive like, go get go getter on like in scoring. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Al Rob. Um, Devontae, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see also who sticks around. I mean, obviously, every offseason, either a grad transfer comes in or a a player transfers out. So we'll see who's on the roster, frankly, for next season. Uh, Kind of the same thing echoed by Darren on Facebook. He says, our goal is to build, parentheses, rebuild a program, and that doesn't happen in just two years. Have some patience and kind of, like, let things play out, which... I mean, is the more pragmatic, probably the more rational approach too, right? Yeah. I mean, the big debate that's kind of happening every time Indiana has a bad loss or Indiana does something that gets, you know, the IUBB Twitter people up in just absolute flames is the comparison between what Tom Crean left Archie Miller with and how big a rebuild job this team is compared to, like, what Tom Crean got from Calvin Sampson or something like that. Because I don't necessarily think it's that big of a rebuilding job. I don't think it's something that should right. take five to six years. No. But there is – Tom Crean had his players in. Tom Crean had his identity for the team. And Archie's is very contrasting with that too, which probably doesn't aid the ability of a quick turnaround. And people always like to cite examples like Tony Bennett at Virginia or other coaches who took maybe three or four years to get their feet wet before the results started to show. Right. I I think I agree with the sentiment that, you know, it's not time to freak out just yet about Archie. Um, I think it's it's going to become soon, though. Well, Daryl also kind of chimes in on this on Facebook and mentions that there's a chance that Archie Miller would maybe be gone after next season if they have a third straight year at borderline 500 while also missing the NCAA tournament, which, I like, think... at Indiana, this would be a four-year stretch most both me and Dylan's entire undergraduate careers yeah. without NCAA tournament birth. Yeah, that's it's possible. Um, it, it hasn't it, happened since ex- the seventies, I believe. Especially just with the expectations of this school and this program. If if next year, even with the recruits he has coming in, if they're not able to do better than they have these these first two years, then I don't. I think he'd be on the hot seat right now. People, some pe- some. People are calling for him now, but that's a little too extreme. Uh, but yeah, I for sure think that next year it, it's possible that if they don't, if they underachieve again, that 
you know, maybe he could be gone, but I don't know. I feel I feel like he might be around. I feel like if it's like he goes to a fourth season and they underachieve, then yeah, he'd probably be gone, but yeah. Well the other thing too is people not only trying to benefit I mean, you have the example of a team Indiana played this year with Louisville. Chris Mack took a team that was, you know, really laid barren by Rick Patino leaving, having an interim coach for one season, and all of a sudden he's turned them around, taken from being picked to finish 11th in the ACC to, you know, safely in the NCAA tournament, a top 25 team late into the season. Uh, you have other examples like Kevin Ollie at UConn and stuff like that, but... Kevin um, Ollie's gone. Well, I mean, Kevin Ollie, <laughs> when he took over UConn and he all He took that over stuff, a good team, though. Uh, that's debatable. But it, it, I They mean, went on a title. <clears throat> it, but it's the idea of how quick can a coach come in there and I guess instill his values and make a winning product. Right. So, I mean, I guess how do you reconcile that with Archie having two seasons of bad Big Ten basketball? I mean, he gets his second recruiting class in for next season, but if they do the same thing that they have this year, next year, is is that enough to um, get his seat very warm? It's going to be very warm, yes. I think, I think, give him two, I think he's going to get two more years. I think that's what... Including next season? Including next... Yeah, next season and the year after that. Okay. I think that's what he gets. And if it if something doesn't happen by then, because now we're talking, uh, let's see, at that point, let's say in two years, next year and the year after that, he's going to have three recruiting classes of his own on that team. And if they aren't able to do something at that point, then I think you have to start wondering, you know, is it time for another another option? Gotcha. All right, so moving on. Uh, let's all right. Let's just let's just do this one here. So Terry, on, here we go. Terry on Facebook mentions Archie Miller is a coach that coaches defense. They play very good, tough pack line defense, but he also is not good at offense and has ruined and wasted Romeo Langford. Yes. During his one year at Indiana. Agreed. Go anyway. I think yes, but I think Romeo is a little bit to blame for that as well. You have to give him a little bit of blame because, I mean, it, it comes down to what he does on the court. And even though the offense really – and the offense that Archie has molded here, it's really – I mean, it doesn't work to Romeo's skill set at yeah. all. Yeah, that's true. So, I, I don't know. I think you I mean, you have to probably blame Archie a little bit more. Some, something that has been addressed a lot is the lack of drawing. I mean, don't you, we touched on this on the last week's podcast – the lack of specific plays drawn yeah. up for Romeo that yeah. better suit his skills and the strengths. It's, it, pick and rolls. Like, let's get a pick and roll going for him every once in a while. Him and Jawan, him and Duran, somebody. I just remember at the, uh, during the Purdue game, Romeo, Jawan came and set a pick for Romeo, and he and he just, he used it, and Jawan slipped, and he passed it to him, and Jawan got a yep. wide-open duck, and yep. I sat there, and I'm just like, wow, look what it could be yep. if they did that a lot more than they do. I know exactly the player you're talking about because I said the same exact thing. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's like Archie's wasting Romeo. I mean, if this team didn't have Romeo, they would be really, really bad. So there's that. But, like, yeah, I mean, to Murphy's point, I mean, Romeo hasn't been too aggressive to kind of find, look for his own shot and kind of get things going for himself. But Archie really hasn't drawn up that many plays for him. And the problem is, and we've touched on this earlier in this podcast, is their offense is just is not spread out at all because they have absolutely no shooters. Well, to that point, Nick on Facebook also adds that the biggest change from when this team was twelve and two to the way they are now with a record of are they below five hundred now? Thirteen and fourteen. Thirteen yeah. and fourteen with Iowa is just the way teams defend them. And something that some people chimed in with comments as well is 
the lack of adjustments when it comes to the offensive plays Indiana runs to the way teams are defending them. I mean, I think first thing in my head is the Ohio State end-of-game play where they tried desperately to force the ball in there to Romeo Langford from, like, Juwan Morgan at the top. Right. And it was just defended by three or four guys, and they still went with it anyway. And they called, what, I think two timeouts to do that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Or when, you know, Juwan's being really well defended in the post, and Devontae just, like, throws it at his feet, and it just gets turned over. I saw that against Ohio State and against Iowa. That's going to happen. That could happen in a game with him, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and to your point, even against Iowa, you said not adjusting. They ran this play that they usually always run, but Iowa was in a zone, mm-hmm. and they still ran it. And I'm just like, why are you running that in a zone? And it was it just did not work out very well. It took them a while to figure out that zone. Thank mm-hmm. God for Evan Fitzner. I don't, can't believe I actually said that, but he kind of... <laughs> He kind of let made Iowa get out of that zone because he was hitting no. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Irish Miller talked about a post game against Iowa. Evan Fitzner's contributions to helping break up Iowa's zone in the first half definitely kind of opened up, you know, everything that Indiana did, especially with Morgan and Davis on the bench in foul trouble. Uh, interesting point also brought up by Harry on Facebook talks about Indiana's a young team, and it's very obvious that they play scared at times, and the pressure of the Big Ten overwhelms them. Uh, I mean, he's very clear that like it's nobody's fault. But the fact that they have so many freshmen and sophomores makes it hard for them to compete night in, night out, and win maybe some of these tight games in the Big Ten. And he also kind of mentions the idea of Indiana maybe not shying away from getting some one-and-done players uh, to help, you know, bolster just the overall talent level rather than going with guys who are going to be in Bloomington for three to four years. Right. I I mean, I agree to a a little bit to that point that this is a young team and this is the kind of thing that's going to happen with a young team. But you can't really use the pressures or getting to them excuse because there's a lot of young teams out there that, you know, handle it much better than IU has. So I don't know if that's I don't know if that's quality excuse, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. You don't think you don't think the pressure like, you, do you pressure, think, no, is that an overblown narrative? Comes with college basketball. Or no, I guess no big way. time college basketball too, yeah. in particular. If you're gonna come play at IU, you gotta be ready for that. Yeah. And they've been playing. I mean, most of these, some. I mean, some of the IU's best players are in-state recruits. You know, Finnessy, Romeo. I mean, so they, I mean, they've been in the state of Indiana. Right. They know how big they know. it is. They know when they committed. Even guys out of state know when they committed here. They knew what they're getting. The expectations. Mm-hmm. They know the environment that is Assembly Hall and other Big Ten arenas that they're gonna have to go play in. And you, you, you can't really say they're inexperienced because these players, they should, they at this point in the season. That shouldn't be an excuse right now. Gotcha. All right, and then lastly, let's finish it up with a, a really particularly insightful comment from Lauren on Facebook, and she mentions that uh, Indiana can at times lack leadership, things like not boxing out and getting rebounds, turnovers, mental toughness in critical situations of the game, free throw shooting, something that kind of reared its ugly head for the Hoosiers at Iowa. And then she less gives a specific reason and then just kind of asks, you know, what could this be attributed to? Is it coaching? Um, is it responsibility taken by Miller to, you know, address these things in practice? Is it responsibility that he takes when he's, you know, speaking to the media? Is it what the players, you know, the motions that they go through to prepare them for these situations? Um, I mean, Lake M execution is something that we've kind of harped on, in particular the past couple of games, Iowa and Purdue, where Indiana's lacked, you know, their late game plans have gone awry very quickly despite having leads in the final 90 seconds of games. Yeah, I think that early in the season when they were winning those close games was because they were just winning, so they had confidence. So as soon as they got into this losing streak that they've been in 
this whole entire 2019 basically they've won the twice. whole year they've won twice since christmas like yep. can you believe that wow like only once since uh students only once since the actual semester started too and not yeah. not once at home since students returned yeah to campus. so to her point in terms of like mental toughness i mean they've got to be they've got to be so beat up mentally and that's why you see them falter late game and you know rob finney has a chance to seal the basically seals the game against Iowa, to, and he makes the first one to go up three, and he misses that last one. That's when Bohannon went and tied it. So it's just, it, I think it does come into mental. Um, I think Juwan's a good leader. Um, you guys have been so you guys have been around the team a little closer than I have this year. This but, team but does think... not particularly have a yelling and screaming vocal leader. It's more of a quiet, confidence leader, which Morgan fills that role pretty well. He does Deron, pretty well. Deron Davis fills that role with a little bit more of a vocal edge to him. But this isn't a team where a guy is going to yell and scream and beat his chest to get the team fired up. It's going to be a lot more of, like, quiet, assured, kind of, like, steady poise because those just aren't the personalities on this team. Well, that's maybe what they need, though. Maybe they need a guy like that. I don't know. I mean, Morgan does it every once in a while. Not consistently, though. Not consistently, though. I think he tries to be because I think, I think deep down he thinks they need somebody like that. But that's just not who he is, but he tries to be that guy every once in a while. Yeah, I guess almost like on an as-needed basis. I mean, right. I remember particularly one point during the Purdue game, this must have been the first half because Indiana was shooting on a, the basket facing where I was on media row, and Juwan goes up, finishes a dunk through contact, you know, jumps down to the floor and, like, does a quick flex pose and beats yeah. his chest twice. Like, it's a celebratory thing, yes, but also, like, that speaks more. That's trying to get guys fired up. That's trying to, you know, stir the crowd and things like that. Right. And there have been a lot of times this season during the good moments when Indiana did that, and, I mean, obviously not necessarily when you're getting blown up by 20, but you've seen less of that as the losing streak has gone on, gone on, gone on. And Miller's not a guy like that. I mean, he doesn't... We have seen him get animated on the sidelines a lot this season, I will say. A little bit more down the stretch. At, the at the officials and his own team more than yeah. anything else. But and I wonder how the players, like, handle that, you know? Because we've looked at how have some guys bought in, have some guys not bought in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think when Archie gets really animated, and I don't know. I don't know how this, this team, where they are mentally. Because um, some of them have bought in, but some look like they haven't. So when he starts yelling at them... I just can't tell what they, what it they was, make of it. It was after the Michigan game when Indiana lost at home by, gosh, I want to say it was like 21, 23 points, uh, 23 points, uh, after the game where he called them soft Yeah. and scared. That was like the first time he really like said something at a press conference about his team. Because I think he does it behind closed doors. And We've I'll, talked about this before. Well, and also, when we asked him a few days later, how did the team respond to you calling them soft and scared? And he was like, I don't think very well. Like, probably, like, they probably didn't appreciate it, but it's the truth, so. Well, they need to they need to be able to handle that. That's another part of basketball. Like, yeah. sorry, like, if you're playing soft, you need to get called out. You can't just let it happen. Right. All right, I think that uh, that does. That's a <laughs> kind of leave a, on a nice note there. <laughs> that's kind of an abrupt end, but uh, those were great questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting them. We hope uh, that we've answered them to the best of our abilities and adequately enough uh, for you guys. Of course, we are... Coming to the end of the season here, four games left. Uh, and before we uh, leave the show today, let's get a quick women's basketball update. That's what Dylan's also here for. Him and yeah. Stefan Kreisner cover the women's team for Indiana. A team that wins against good opponents. And, yeah, we have an interesting juxtaposition this week because while Indiana lost at home to ranked Purdue and on the road at ranked Iowa in terms of the men's team, the women's team scored... I believe their first win over a top 10, top 15 team since 2010. Since 2010, yeah. Beat number 10 Iowa at home. Was that Thursday night? Yeah, it was Thursday night. Yeah. So uh, walk us through it. What's the 
what does that win do for the Hoosiers? Kind of what happened, and then I guess briefly, what's to come? They only have a couple games left, right? Yeah, so that win, it really saved the season for, for the women's team because they had lost four in a row prior to that, and they were really starting to sink toward the bottom of the Big Ten. And uh, we talked about this last podcast, if you listen, but Allie Papper did miss the last four games. She was, she's IU's leading scorer, about 16 a game, because she dislocated her shoulder, um, but it was nothing serious, nothing broken. So she, she made a comeback against Iowa. It was her first game back. And it was funny because, you know, Coach Morin said that they would be, uh, she'd be on a minutes restriction, and she played 37 minutes of a 40-minute game. Um, so she got three minutes off. She got three minutes off. But she, she, you can tell they're a different team with her on the floor because she shot 7 of 13, 6 of 8 from the three-point line, scored 21 points. That's as many threes as the men's team usually makes in an entire game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so she really, you know, she really led them to victory right there. Um, and, and I'll take you through this game a little bit. Iowa hit six three-pointers in the first quarter. And they got up to they got up to a sixteen point lead in the third, and it really looked like you know this game was over, and that IU was going to lose, and you know the season was really trending as downward as the men's was. But then you know Patrick knocked in a few threes, Brenna Wise knocked in a few threes. She finished the game with a game high for the team, twenty four points. And um, Megan Gustafson of Iowa, she averages twenty seven points a game. Maybe she, the best player in the country. Honestly, yeah. And and she, she did hit her mark. She scored 26 against IU, but they were able to really double double down on her, and they kind of harassed her a little bit toward the end. And after they made that run, they ended the third quarter on a 13-1 to run. And uh, just like that, they were down three. Fourth quarter, they fought them hard, and then Ben Dubiani hit a shot with three seconds left to go up by two, and then she blocked Iowa's three-point shot to win the game. And it ended, and yeah, it really saved the season for IU. And now they're eighteen and ten overall, seven and nine in the Big Ten, and they have two games left. So they got Northwestern on the road on Tuesday, the same day that the men's team plays Wisconsin, and then they play Purdue. Same time, actually. Yeah, yeah I think it's an hour before. Actually. Yeah, those games are gonna have a a real crossover effect. Yeah. And then they play Purdue March third on a Sunday, and if. They win those two games during the tournament for sure. Even if they lose them, they still have a really good shot because they have wins against their ranked Michigan State team, this number 10 ranked Iowa team, and a really good non-conference uh, schedule with, in terms of wins. Yeah, I was just about to say, more than anything, the RPI factor and yeah. you know the computer metrics that go into beating the number 10 team in the country, especially in a sport like women's basketball where major upsets in terms of unranked team against a top 10 team are so few and far in between. Yeah. That's just massive for the Hoosiers. All right, so one last thing, Dylan, real quick. At Northwestern, home to Purdue, and then the Big Ten tournament for the women, what's one thing people should look out for in terms of the close of the season? Jeez, um, well, <laughs> I do want to mention real quick that in the, the win against Iowa, Coach Moran got her 150 at IU. There you go. So that was, that was nice. But uh, something to look out for is um, if, they can keep, if they can really pick, keep up the momentum from Iowa. Because as I said, they had lost four in a row prior to that win. Um, and they've been really – this season they've been really not good in, like, feeding off victories. So we'll see if they can keep up this momentum. And if they can, then I'd watch out for this team because they could they could be dangerous in the Big Ten tournament, honestly, because no team in this conference has showed itself to be that much better. Um, Iowa, honestly, was, it was the best, but IU was able to just beat them. Maryland's also really good. But other than that, um, don't be surprised if you, this women's team gets to the semifinals or the Big Ten championships in the tournament. Um, so, yeah. That's a Big Ten tournament taking place for the women's team from March 6th through March 10th over at Bankers Left Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. 
just like with the rest of the men's season, you can find all our women's basketball content at idsnews.com, idsnews slash sports. Go ahead and lob Stefan and Dylan a follow on Twitter as well. And I think that'll be all we have for you guys today. Hope you like the questions. Hope you like the show. Big week of basketball for the men's team and women's team coming up here with both home and road games as the seasons come to a close. Be sure to stick with us at idsnews.com for all your basketball coverage needs. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.